You're listening to episode number 247, and today we're talking all about the nervous system. Honestly, I think in the hierarchy of health, this is at the top. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to this podcast. As always, my name's Alexa, and this is the place where I believe you were made for living well. Yes, you have everything you need to live healthy inside of you. It's not an external chase, but an internal change. And here on the podcast, I wanna help you do just that. Now we're currently in a podcast series to help you live out health. And I'm giving you my eight top life-transforming health tips that I think you need to know. And not just need to know, but to live out. So far, we're on part four. The first part was all about the two minds and using your brain to create change. The second one was about habit formation and actually enjoying the things that you want to do. The last podcast, the one right before this, was all about meditation. And today we're talking about nervous system regulation, which All of these kind of have led up to this moment of how do we actually regulate the nervous system and why is it important? Today, I'm going to be asking an expert in the nervous system, Jessica McGuire, all about how do we actually heal and why is this so important? Honestly, so much of our chronic pain and autoimmunity and disease processes come from a dysregulated nervous system. It really is a massive function in our overall health, communicating with every single cell in our body. Like this is a really big deal and it connects our mind, body, and soul. This is something we're gonna expand on as the, as the podcast progress. And in the last podcast of the series, I'm gonna take a deeper dive into how does this relate to our diet and our health? Now today we're gonna welcome Jessica McGuire. She is an expert and nervous system regulation. She has her master's in physiotherapy and spent over 14 years helping people improve the health of their brain and body. Through her clinical experience in neurology and musculoskeletal physiotherapy and her previous study into heart rate variability affects the brain, she was fascinated by the nervous system and potential for the brain and nervous system to change. And through the process of that, she created her own program and business to help people regulate their nervous system. She's studied all across Europe, America, the UK, and Australia, and she's been a part of numerous research studies. Honestly, today's podcast is fascinating, and you're going to want to stay tuned as we dive into that. But like always, you can learn more about the podcast and more information on how you can regulate your nervous system over at thelivingwell.com. Not only will you learn it here, but I take the practical steps and I put it into a blog post over at The Living Well so you can take those steps and implement it into your life. Because what we need is not more knowledge, but the right action to actually experience the health that's inside of you. So make sure you head on over to thelivingwell.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email list. It really is the place where I dive further into my own health, how I've experienced this in my own life some stories, some embarrassing things, and of course, my top finds that you might like to help you along this journey. Really, it's just a community that works to raise each other up to build resiliency and to live out of health. So head on over there and do that and sign up for my weekly fill email. That's all I have for you right now. So let's get right to the show and welcome Jessica. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Today, we're going to dive into a topic that 
is all about the nervous system, which is a really big topic, but we're going to break it down. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you talk all about the nervous system. You do lots of work with it. And honestly, the nervous system is is one of those systems that's a driving force in all of our health. I think we're people who are so fixated on our metabolism and our hormones, but like, what's the significance with the nervous system and why you have made that your sole focus um, in your career? Sure. So when we look at the, what we refer to as the nervous system, we are really talking about in this sense, the autonomic nervous system. Um, which used to just be sort of as two branches. We had the sympathetic, which is like the accelerator on the car that makes us go faster, move into fight or flight under threat. And then we have the brake, which once upon a time was just thought of as the parasympathetic state. But what we've seen in more recent times is that that parasympathetic branch has two parts to it. So we have the dorsal vagal part of the vagus nerve and another branch which is called the ventral part. So these are like two other branches of the parasympathetic but they have very different responses. So I like to use the analogy of a car in that if we were driving along and going too fast and we just used our foot pedal to slow down a little bit that would be like using the ventral branch but then if we if that wasn't working so well we might end up putting on a handbrake to slow down and that would be like putting on that dorsal vagal branch. So in that we see that our capacity for regulation and the broad range of effects that it has on us really means that that system lies at the heart of so much of our health. So, for example, the way that we relate to other people will be dependent upon how that system is working because a part of the vagus nerve or the that ventral branch connects to the cranial muscles in our face, so how we express ourselves, also speech and how we listen. But that nervous system speaks to our immune system, our hormonal system, digestive. It's involved with the inf- like inflammation as well, so we can see things like chronic pain. And so for the patients that I worked with when I was working as a physiotherapist um, had a lot of chronic pain. And what the study has shown is that although we may use those modalities like manual therapy or massage or different types of treatment, there are a range of people that don't respond to that. And so there's a sensitization that's driving that underneath. And so I found it hard to, I guess I felt a little bit disappointed that I was seeing people not get better, although I was treating them. And then what the modern pain neuroscience has shown is that effect of, say, the the body influencing the brain, but particularly how people interpreted pain as a threat. And so that tied in that nervous system part as well. So the more I went into it, the more I understood a framework that was I could see in this certain group of people who didn't improve, ah, there's a response of the nervous system, there's a response of their emotions, and it was driven by other factors too, like their relationships, what they believed was wrong with them, uh, financial pressures, And to to have a framework to understand that we can't separate the body and the brain, I found was really, really helpful um, in helping these people then get better. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I think we're so quick to zoom in on health and just look at specific systems. But when we start talking about the nervous system, it really is that connection between our mind, body, and soul, like the, the whole of who we are, which is so widely important as we talk about this. Now, when you mention the different branches of the nervous system, we have talked about the sympathetic, parasympathetic. Can you maybe just explain those a little bit quickly here at the start of this, as we kind of dive deeper into this, so we have a really good baseline of what exactly are these systems and what are they doing? Absolutely. So if we, if we, again, use the analogy, I think it's useful to think of the car as like our, our speed that we go at. And when we're, when our nervous system is functioning well, we go at the right speed for the conditions that we're facing. So that means that I'm not always calm, but my nervous system is really flexible and adaptable and I can rise with my energy up to meet challenges and demands and then I can come back down um, when I need to. So if we look at that as that sympathetic part, first of all, we'll see that it begins sort of through the systems at the back of our neck, through the mid-back and travels out and it really is an energising system um, it brings in that speed and we'll feel it. So let's say, for instance, and we can look at this on a broad, on a, on a, on a spectrum. So at one end, we might feel that mobilising energy from this system. So I can feel that now as I'm talking to you because I'm passionate about this topic. And it helps me communicate this to focus on what you're saying, to really um, have the endurance to talk to you, say, for an, as long as I wanted to on this topic. Now, that's one end of the spectrum. If I have that controlled or, or tied in with my, um, let's say, that ventral branch of the vagus nerve, I'll be in the zone for play. So I feel the mobilising energy, but I still feel safe. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, or if I neurocept something as danger, which means how down in the lower centres of my brain, I can detect if people are safe, dangerous, or life-threatening, or this could be places. So if I detect, hmm, this isn't safe, and it's not even happening in our conscious awareness, then I will have the that branch of the vagus nerve come off or withdraw. My heart rate will speed up, and I'll have the release of stress hormones from that sympathetic system, and then I might move more into fight or flight. So that's where we feel the racing heart. We feel heat travelling through sort of our arms and legs, getting us ready to run away. We feel we might feel the blood leave our gut quickly. Um, we can feel tension in our body. And this is amazing. It's such an amazing system. It works so fast and it always acts in service of our survival. So that's our accelerator. And then on the other side of that, where we said we have our vagus nerve, the ventral branch helps us recover and come back. So it puts a brake on our heart to slow us back down. Say, so let's say I was driving along, someone swerved onto my side of the road, sympathetic nervous system would help me quickly take action, get out of there. I might feel my heart beating, but then afterwards the ventral branch of the vagus nerve comes in to slow me down. Let's say that wasn't working so well and I was my heart rate was elevated for a long time. I was feeling really upset and worried. What might happen eventually is that I drop down into a bit of a collapse. So 
that would be my dorsal vagal system coming in, slowing me down. And um, you know, it's like that time where you crash for a deadline and you're like, go, 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 yeah. go. Yeah. And then you sort of burn out. Yeah. That would be an example of that feeling. So the, the, the heaviness, the flatness. So we uh-huh. want to be in that state most of the time, if we can, where that ventral branch takes us to feeling centered, calm. We connect the best with other people. Mm-hmm. Our health is optimal because our immune system, digestive system, and, and our endocrine system all function at their best. Yeah. Yeah. I always say health is more like a pendulum, right? It's like trying to find that balance. I think we're so quick to go to the extremes. And I think even when it comes to our nervous system or hearing about stress, it's like, I just need to create this stress-free life. (laughs) But Our nervous system was designed for stress. And you talk a lot about resiliency, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, because I love this idea of like, we also have to push our bodies. Like stress is not bad. It's, it's somehow there's a balance in there. Can you talk more about why and how our body was designed for this? And like, where is that line of that's too much stress, you know, then you're going to kind of crash on the backside. Like, where do you find that balance in there? Or how can you train yourself to find that balance? Such a good question. So if we look at what we have inside, we have a process called allostasis. And it is exactly as you say, Alexa, it's that pendulum or it's like a thermostat in a house. So I mentioned before we have that sympathetic energy and I feel like it's got a bad rap. I feel like people say sympathetic's bad. We shouldn't have it. But I see it as how much do we have of it and in what context. But if we are facing a stressor, so let's say I have um, I have an appointment tomorrow and my car breaks down, so I can feel that mobilising energy come in. So I need to, you know, but think of it as this, it's mobilising me to take action. Yeah. So then let, if I deal with that and then I get to discharge the stress activation, I will recover and come back to a baseline. So it's just like, you know, that that really has my mind-body system has returned back to normal. But where I find the difference is to really look at the at comparing stress reduction to stress resilience because they're two totally different things. Yeah. So in stress reduction, I might avoid anything that's hard and my world gets smaller. But the problem with that is I actually become even less tolerant to stress because my world is getting smaller and smaller. But stress resilience is having the tools to use in the moment that help the nervous system recover. Um, We can also see some of the strategies that we might use with masking or compartmentalising or telling ourselves it's not that bad. Jane has got it so much worse than me. That kind of stuff, we're trying to minimise what we feel. But in stress reduction, we actually, oh, sorry, in stress resilience, we actually acknowledge this is hard. This is hard for me right now. What do I need? What tools can I have to support my nervous system, support myself through this stage? So we don't want to go out and, you know, find things that are so stressful that it's beyond what we can cope with. But we want to find that we can still push ourselves, stretch our nervous system, and then come back. So because I'm coming from a background in physiotherapy where we looked at 
pushing people's bodies after they'd had an injury, this is really the same. We can learn to stretch our nervous system after we've gone through periods of chronic stress or for some people eventually they can get to that if they've had traumatic stress. It's really about teaching a lower centre area of the brain, we'll call it the survival brain, teaching it that it can actually cope in that moment and then allowing the nervous system to recover fully. Mm-hmm. So where we talked about that sympathetic system as being mobilising a lot of energy, it's being able to discharge that energy. So for a lot of us who sit all day and we're really wound up, we probably don't get enough opportunities to discharge that mobilization, and that's where we might see an increase in anxiety and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes total sense of like, you know, I think so often we look at these stress responses as so exhausting, but it's really like that backwards thing of like, you're, you're more just bound up in energy, um, which makes it feel exhausting where we just need to have like this open flow of energy of dissipating it. And, and I think like when we talk about chronic stress being a link to chronic pain and autoimmunity, I mean, there's, can you just share more about like, why that is such a huge hurdle or why that's such a huge linkage between all of these illnesses and diseases that maybe we're confronted with and just this bound up stress that we have a hard time dissipating from our body. Sure. Well, we can look at it first of all through seeing what happens with the sympathetic nervous system. It automatically creates more activation in the musculoskeletal system, getting us ready to run away or to fight. Um, we'll really see for some people they might bring their shoulders up and that tension through the muscles in the neck. Um, So that's one aspect in itself that can lead to aches and pains. But where we look at it with persistent pain that doesn't get better after injury or when the tissue has actually healed is the areas in the brain that process physical sensations are the same areas that process emotions, um, if we, our stress responses as well. So working with sensations can really be helpful in this instance. So what happens is in the brain, there's certain areas that will light up when something's painful and it doesn't matter, matter whether it's emotional pain or physical pain. And it creates what we might call this connectome. So different areas that light up and it will be different for every person. So we might see that the frontal part of the brain lights up. That's where our thoughts around what's happening with this pain or what it means comes in. We see there's different areas, particularly in the insula or the sensory cortex, which is important. But we see the lower centres, the fear centres, like the amygdala, which is our smoke alarm or detector of danger. That also lights up. But there was a really interesting study done which showed that uh, it's one of the professors here in Australia, he took a patient and then did a MRI of their brain doing a task and they educated the patient about pain and said that the pain wasn't necessarily meaning that the tissues were being damaged. It was more that that system had become sensitised because of fear. Mm -hmm. And then on the next functional MRI, the areas that in the brain that lit up, it wasn't as much, it had come down. So because there wasn't as much fear, there wasn't that all this activation in the brain. So we can look at this as well with understanding 
how we pay attention to physical sensations. I was mentioning neuroception before, how we detect if people or places are safe, dangerous or life-threatening. Neuroception is informed by what we feel inside of us and also what we're seeing or hearing or sensing outside of us. But some of us, when we feel sensations, whether it's pain or a feeling of nervousness, it really can amplify by how we see what that sensation means. So let's say I'm scared of going to a function and I feel pangs of nervous energy going through my body. And let's say the sense of that is immediately interpreted by my survival brain as a threat and my thoughts are this is going to be so bad, I'm I'm not safe going to this event. It just continually can amplify until we end up moving into a state of anxiety and being really, really wound up. So what we can learn to do is to look at how we relate to sensations. Some people on one end of the spectrum might say they might be amplified and they run away with a story that something terrible is going to happen. And on the other end of that spectrum, some people will cut off from sensations, block them out, but they still affect them anyway. So that in part is really looking at how we can say that physical pain or it can be emotional pain can change the way it's processed in the brain, but also even sensations can turn into um, driving our threat response, particularly after chronic and traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like a, a processing issue inside of our body. And all of us probably do that in some different way based on our past experiences and our past traumas um, and what we've been through. So if have you seen that people who have gone through more things? I mean, obviously, probably every adult at some point has been traumatized or has experienced some kind of pain. But do you see repetitive pain over time creates more autoimmunity, more chronic pain um, versus those people who have relatively little? Yeah, so there was a really interesting study that was done um, called the ACEs study, which looked at people who suffered from childhood trauma and their chronic illnesses later in life were far, far higher. So we know that that happens. Where It depends on where you look at this process of um, experiencing, experiencing difficult times or adversity happens. The branch, that ventral branch of the vagus nerve I was talking about, it still keeps forming in our first few years. And, and there's even research to show that it forms right through to our adolescence. Mm. So in looking at that, our social bonds when we're young will help that form properly. So around the nerve is this what we call myelination, which is like an insulation around the nerve and helps the impulses travel faster. So when we look at a person's ability to regulate their nervous system or bring that that vagal break in to slow down, that can definitely be related to illness later in life. And the reason that we see that is is through a few different portals, but we could look at, say, inflammation. When we come back into that state where our vagus nerve is working well and we feel calm and centred, we're connecting with other people, we'll see that this is the time where 
our body heals, where there's rejuvenation, we see a balance with the immune system. So particularly we can look at that with the balance between pro-inflammatory um, cytokines and anti-inflammatory cytokines. And then we also um, can see that when we would go into our sympathetic nervous system, there'll be a ramp up of our immune system. So if you were to think of what we call nervous system dysregulation, this is moving or spending most of our time outside of that state where we're feeling calm and centred. So when that happens, when we're spending most of our time outside, we are not coming back to the place where our body gets to repair itself. And that can be the start of um, for some chronic illnesses taking place. And it might not necessarily show up as, you know, uh, so let's say, for example, if the gut. So when we move into that sympathetic state, the blood moves away from the gut. And then if I'm, those stress responses are only meant to be about 10 minutes, but let's say I'm spending hours in that state. I'm not going to have the healthy movement of food through my stomach um, where then with that slowing down, that takes an effect on my microbiome. And it can be the start of things like IBS and, and other certain gut issues where the motility isn't moving as well as it should. So that's one example, but we can certainly see it from that immune response with um, inflammation as well. But once we come back into the state where our digestion can then function properly, we can rebalance the microbiome. We can um, that pain reduces, and we're also getting a reduction in inflammation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about the gut, right, oftentimes it's talked about as a communicator with our nervous system. Do you feel like it's the nervous system communicating more with our microbiome, or do you think our microbiome has equal communication with our nervous system? Like, is it the chicken or egg kind of situation? Like, which one is more to blame for the health of our microbiome, do you think? Yeah, it's a million dollar question because what I like to see is looking at the connection of the vagus nerve from the brain going right down through our gut, like it penetrates the gut. And so 80% of the vagus nerve fibers are running from the gut up to the brain. Which so, is an incredible amount, right? Like that's an important aspect of both of those things. Absolutely. Yeah. So if we said then those 80% of fibres running up are carrying sensory information, so how it feels, um, but they're, they're carrying a lot of messages and signals up to the brain. So if, if we are, say, feeling a lot of pain in the gut and have gut issues, we can, the, or the lower centres in the brain may detect that as a threat or that something's wrong, and then it will change the 20% of the fibres that come down into the gut, which, you know, change how it's functioning. So there's a regulation process and it's a complete cycle. I don't think you can break it up, but it's more looking at, okay, where do I want to work? Mm. So this is why the gut is so powerful. If we can, if we can really bring some health to our microbiome, we're definitely improving that. And even in a sensory point of view. So I know from teaching a lot of work with, paying attention to sensations, the gut is a really hard 
place for people to often sense that the feelings that are there. So many people have cut off from them. A lot of the time we're tensing our belly and holding it in. So I think getting in touch with that part of the body can be a really good start and then looking at that from many factors. So the food that we eat, um, the timing, how often we eat, and then supplements and things too. Yeah. So when we talk about the gut and the nervous system, where do food behaviors fall into that category? So I know the nervous system often regulates those food behaviors. Yes, absolutely. We can look at food as it really can play a role in soothing us when we feel anxious. So we can really look at the fact that for a lot of people, they might use it as um, an artificial regulator of their nervous system. I think we're all can say, yes, I've felt stress and I've eaten some chocolate. Right, like right. there's no need for us to, you know, beat ourselves up for that. But for some people, they, they might be using food as when they're in that sympathetic state and really wound up to help soothe them and bring them back down, which just makes perfect sense when we think of babies. The feeding mechanism was actually, um, is involved so much with the vagus nerve, the sucking right. and the swallowing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even the being held. So it really takes us back to a place where we might feel safe. So mm-hmm. food can bring it in that way. And then for people who tend to be on more the burnout, flat, feeling so down, food can help to bring a sense of coming back up as well. So in that way, I see it as a we may use it to try and regulate our nervous system, but unfortunately it doesn't always bring you know, that true regulation that many people need. Um, and then, of course, you know, how we, how, we, how we eat is going to play a massive role in the state of our microbiome. So we can right. really see it there as well. Right. So is food a temper? I mean, obviously it gives us some kind of feeling of calmness, of soothing. Like that's a, that, that's a true phenomenon. That's not something that we oh, just yeah. make up in our head, right? Like totally. it's true. Yeah. So how, I mean, I think so many people struggle with that too, right? It's like, it's such an unconscious or subconscious act sometimes. How do we start to deal with some of this so that we can find and learn other ways to soothe our, our, um, our nervous system. And is it like one of those things that once you get your nervous system back into balance, it's easier to maintain that versus this, I'm kind of all over the place situation. Great question. So I think the place to start with is just slowing that habit down. So often it will be like almost conditioned that it's like, particularly for people who probably work at home. So it's like the pressure comes on. It's like, oh, I'm just going to get up and move away and go have a snack. Uh And it's like, oh, I feel a bit better for a minute. Oh, no, the work is still here. It's not really, you know. So, again, it's looking at that stress resilience. Um, I think just pausing and saying, okay, what state am I in? What's happening here? I feel, say, the tension in my shoulders. I'm hearing thoughts like something terrible is going to happen. And perhaps it's like for a lot of people, they're recognising, oh, okay, I've moved into that sympathetic state. And then it's having a range of tools to use in that state. So for some people, it can be movement, like 10 minutes just to do something to discharge that energy. Some people find breath work amazing. There's, there's so many tools we can use to help us. Um, and then we can look at it as if we're down in that flat state, you know, feeling really fatigued and heavy, 
what would help to up-regulate our nervous system. So I really feel that just having that framework of understanding of our nervous system gives us so much power because we can put ourselves back in the driver's seat and say, ah, this is what's happening. Okay, what do I need to do? But until we make those connections or build that autonomic awareness, we can just reflexively act. Um, And then over time, absolutely, as we bring more balance to the nervous system, the those automatic responses that we have, they won't be as intense. So we don't swing up to the highs as much and down to the lows. Certainly not saying that life becomes perfect, but we spend more time in that state where we feel calm and centred and then we can make choices that align with our values and our goals. We slow things down a bit. Right. Yeah. And I like how you said that because I think so often we're looking for that constant perfect that's like that line that's perfectly straight, but really the essence of life is having some, like you said at the beginning, having some of those highs and having some of those like lows, like stressing the body, but also knowing how to relax. What are some ways that we can destimulate our nervous system or calm it down? And what are some ways that we can help enhance it when we are feeling sluggish that are not (laughs) true? Yes, absolutely. So this is a really individual approach. Like a lot of people say to me, what's the one best exercise to help the nervous system? And there really isn't one. The fact is like, if you think of attunement, how a mother soothes her baby or a father soothes the baby and they tune in to like, okay, my baby is really wound up. What do I need to do? Okay, I'm going to bounce it around. We're going to move. We're going to walk. We're going to, or we might soothe it, you know, in that way. So the parent attuning to the baby is really important. Mm -hmm. And then if they're flat and like they might stimulate, add some energy. So really there's a range of ways we can do this. Um, When it comes to stress, one thing that's a little bit more effective rather than trying to talk to ourselves and try and change our mind state is to really get into our body states or bodily states. So, for example, I'm sure everybody can relate to that time where you're really nervous and in your head you're saying, I just need to calm down, but your palms are still sweaty, your heart's still racing, and it's not really working. So for some people, it might be sense information that's coming from outside with slowly looking around and say, okay, I can notice that um, tree there looking at the trees, slowing down, looking around. So that just brings us back into the present moment because these survival responses take us away from the present moment. So we want to try and come back to the present moment. Um, That can also be through listening to sounds. Um, It can be through if you were just to say, okay, I'm sitting here and I can feel my pelvis connected to the chair. I can really feel supported by the chair. I'm going to anchor myself here. And these are just very brief little things I'm giving you. It's a bit more complex than that, but it gives you an idea. But I really feel that the essence of resilience is our relationships and people who we can be around who are very grounded themselves at that time. So we call this co-regulation where I will start to mirror the state that you're in because I'm picking up on what you're showing me on how safe things are. 
So your posture, your gestures, the tone of your voice, the expression on your face, all of that will change the state that I'm in and eventually I'll come to shift towards your state. I might not be the same, but I'll come to shift to that. And that's the same with even being flat. You know, when we're down and we need to bring ourselves back up, we can do the same thing. So, you know, there's a lot of talk on codependency and how terrible it is. And, you know, we don't want to swing to that part where we're totally reliant on other people every time we feel stressed. But we really can turn towards people in those times where we're feeling that we're struggling. And if those people can stay grounded themselves, that is one of the greatest resources we have. So I mentioned some of those tools before that were self-regulation. Co-regulation doesn't even necessarily mean that we need to tell a whole story to someone or that they need to listen to someone. It might just be that we hang out with them go for a walk, mm-hmm. do some cooking together, something like that. And if that person stays grounded, we will mirror that person. Yeah. I really appreciate that you said that. I feel like I hear, you know, you hear that all the time of like, heal yourself. You know, you need to do this work for yourself. And, and I've always felt like we are so, we're such dependent people on other people. Like that's the essence of life is living in community. And so I really appreciate that you just said that because I think that is really important is just the act of living has to be done with other people or it Absolutely. should be. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what, what, why heal yourself and get all well to be like, what, one day ready for being in a yeah. relationship or being ready for connection? I mean, that's right. it, we need it now. And it's so linked to even information, like lack of connection has been linked to that. So um it's it's actually shown to really improve our immune system. Uh, so I, I see that, you know, I didn't know this information early on in my career working one-to-one with people. But later on, I realised that that in itself is medicine. You know, if we really want to help people, it's being able to stay regulated ourselves at, even as people are experiencing their own turmoil. So mm-hmm. very yeah. yeah. I mean, I think more and more is going to come out about the, the need for connection, not just social, you know, on social media, but physical human connection is so important. Yes. And I think it's an aspect that a lot of us are missing, you know, waiting to live or waiting to experience life until we think we're confident enough or that we have it all together, which none of us do. And I, th- I think kind of moving in that along those lines, you know, I think I, I look at even body fat, you know, a lot of people come to me looking for answers on body fat, but my perspective, body fat has, is serving a purpose and, and nothing inside of our body is there without a purpose. Um, and some of us just have more of it because it's served a bigger purpose. Um, and I think some of this relates back to the nervous system, but I would love to hear your opinion on it. It's all protective, right? Like our body is always acting in protection and, and the leading form of that is looking for survival, which often comes in the form of, you know, conserving energy in the form of body fat. But we also have the ability to change that. So I guess the question is, do you think that people can think themselves well? Or do you think, like, that's a big question. Because sometimes like, we're so focused on all these external things, on eating the right foods, on moving our bodies. But, like, that's such a small aspect of health. And when we start to really look at the nervous system, hmm. you think we can alter it enough or first by how we think or being aware of what we think and altering that? 
I mean, I, I, I mean, the nervous system to me has got to be that key. I don't know what you think, but that top tier <laughs> and the aspect of healing, because it opens up that flow. I just don't know, like how, how I guess, and what you've done, how big is the nervous system and, and the art of healing and the art of getting healthy and losing weight and being at a healthy weight, all the things that people are really looking for. Where do you put it? Look to me then from that part about where, how important it is in the nervous system. I see it lies at the heart of mm-hmm. our health, because if we look at like what you were saying, it always is acting in service of our survival. And exactly like what you said with how we may have extra weight on or extra fat, it's the nervous system has learned from what we've experienced in the past. So it's highly, highly adaptable. And basically what happens is that we learn through repeated experiences. So if we were not shown that connection or that um, emotional support that we needed when we were younger, we can then internalise these beliefs or unconscious core beliefs about the world or ourselves that we're not worthy of love, we're not worthy of um, someone's time. It can be the case if somebody experienced something traumatic, they internalise the world's not safe. Now, this doesn't run as a narrative necessarily in the head or brain. The narrative that might come up is something bad, what's that? Oh, I've got to be on, on alert but what's under that is something from the past. So where we might look at this is that survival brain part and how it connects with the vagus nerve. So it's not necessarily that we can use mindset to change our nervous system, but we need to tap into what's outside of our awareness um, and bring it to understanding reducing that shame and blame for ourselves that, you know, we're weak, we're not resilient enough, we just need to be more stoic or whatever it is, which I'm sure is a similar narrative for people who want to reduce body fat. Uh But once we can work or once we can see that these responses are not a personal weakness, it is millions of years of evolution that's trying to keep us safe then we can say, oh, okay, and and like an alarm system that might be installed, once we've had a break-in, we could say that our inner alarm system after a traumatic experience will be very sensitive. And so like we put an alarm in the house, let's say it starts going off because there's wind coming through from an open window, that can be what happens to us but we can change the alarm by using those practices of self-regulation, co-regulation, understanding the responses. Um, I think that's the biggest part. And like what you're saying with, with even understanding how we may have gotten to a point with eating or whatever's happened, once we take away that blame and we feel that we have some autonomy, we're immediately empowered to do something. We're immediately able to act in service of our values and goals rather than just respond or react reflexively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about, you know, these steps that we could take, obviously there's a lot of them, but 
even when it comes to creating ba- better vagal tone, like these, like the, the act of awareness obviously is that first step, but what are some things you're doing on a daily basis to center your nervous system to ground it out? Sure. Um, for me, I definitely need movement. So with doing a lot of work um, sitting, I find I do tend to get a little bit jittery if I don't do some exercise. So often in the middle of the day, that might just be 20 minutes and that's enough to be able to keep going. Um, I've learned to stop pushing as hard as I did when I feel that amplification come up. So in the past, if I was working on a project and I might have been nervous about it, I would have just kept pushing and then it would have, I probably would have got more wound up. But now I'll work on the project and say, do a solid amount and then go and do something that's that that lets me calm back down a little bit and then come back to it. So still working, but just not the push um, right. to, you know, always go. I, I definitely listen more as well when I notice that I'm um, coming down into that flatness. You know, if I feel like, ooh, I'm getting to that state of um, energy coming down into a flatter stage. And because I work at home, um, it can be that uh, I spend a lot of time by myself. Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll really look to if in that flattest time where I've spent too much time alone, I'll organise catch-ups with my friends. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely been prioritising connections mm-hmm. um, more so in the last 12 months, but actively looking them out. I think sometimes we have a little bit of a, they should just come to me. Yeah. But finding those people. And, you know, I really recommend if people, a lot of people say, look, I don't have those connections, um, volunteer, you know, put put that effort into making them a priority because when we feel dysregulated, you know, where we're outside of that calm, connected state for long periods of time, we will want to withdraw. But that is really the time where we need to go out into our community, like go to the library, go get a coffee, go sit in a park where there's people around. And all of that will help so much. So they're my main ones for Mm -hmm. for now. Yeah. So there's some people who are, in my understanding, like they have this hyper arousal and there are some that are more hypo arousal. I mean, probably it can go both ways. Does it matter knowing which one you are so you know how to stimulate yourself or destimulate yourself? Yeah, it's really useful. So hyperarousal would be where we've had that prolonged state of sympathetic. Um, and, you know, it's useful to recognise it because sometimes we'll see that we may find ourselves being really critical, starting arguments. We might recognise that we're overdoing things, taking on more, going really fast with our work. And we can say, hang on a minute, what's driving this behaviour? So I think that's really helpful to look at that and, again, look at what would help to bring that back down, which is... That's like the overstimulate or like the holding on to you have too much energy almost inside, stuffed inside your body. So you need to figure out ways to let it out. Okay, yeah. Exactly. And then hypoarousal, you know, we can see ourselves. I I think a lot of people criticise themselves as being lazy but this would really be where we might find there's extreme procrastination. Mm-hmm. Burnout would fit into this category. Like burnout's a funny term. We hear a lot of it, but 
really what it is, is that we have a lack of the sympathetic energy and a lack of our vagus nerve working well. So that sympathetic mobilizing energy that's making us passionate, it's Mm -hmm. gone kaput because we've probably been really hyper arousal before that. That's that's typically what we see, that burnout comes from we spend so much time being anxious, we deplete that system, and then we're just yeah. Yeah. But it's not not a personal weakness. It's a it's a physiological response. Yeah. And I mean, all of this has a power to change. I mean, our entire brain system is evolving and changing, which I think is fascinating. And the work that you do, and I want to talk more about your Vegas nerve program because this is a really important topic. And one I think that we so easily miss in this chase for whatever it is that we're looking for, but this really changes the whole of who we are. So can you talk more about your program and maybe just some of the things, you know, I think people are, might be listening to this and thinking, okay, but what, what can it really do for me? You know, like what is that tangible? What am I going to see on the other side of that? Like what, can you put that into words a little bit of maybe what you've seen from some of the clients that have gone through this program or just in general, the work that you've done with nervous system? Sure. So I'm from the last group that went through, we had a lot of people say that their panic attacks stopped. So Mm -hmm. that is such a rewarding feeling to know that somebody can have such a profound change from that chronic anxiety. Um, A lot of people will find their digestion and sleep and energy improve. So they're the the main ones, which is fantastic because we know that we're seeing changes in, you know, the microbiome. Um, Definitely that sense of behavioral responses so understanding them and saying you know oh I really snapped at my husband tonight I really criticized him and I was very much so having the fight branch of my nervous system active all day Mm -hmm. so so that's a very helpful thing but for, for what it is that people come away with is just having that framework and then having a toolbox for every state and that is really what makes people resilient is, is having more tools and resources than the challenges that they're facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of that and everything that we talked about here. It is such a fascinating subject. And I think we could have pinpointed just one thing and gone even deeper with that. So maybe at some point we'll have to have you back on and talk more about that. But I really appreciate you being here, Jessica. Can you tell us where we can learn more about you and your program? Sure. Uh, so my website is jessicamaguire.com and I'm over on Instagram where I share quite a bit repairing the nervous system. Um, and I would love to come back, Alexa. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So one last question before I let you go, what is the final word of encouragement or something that you really want everyone to take away from this podcast? I think allowing or Learning that that framework for understanding the responses of the nervous system is one of the most helpful things you can do to reduce that feeling of I'm doing something wrong, I'm mm-hmm. falling short, I'm not, I'm not enough. It's, it's helpful to see that we all have this human nervous system that is adaptable from what we've learned in the past. Mm-hmm. But as we've said, we can absolutely adaptable to change how it responds in the future by what it experiences today. And we have the tools to give it new experiences in practice that will change the way it responds. And 
that brings us so much freedom and so much wellness when we can learn to do that. So I would just encourage people who may have felt that there, that there was no hope or that they're helpless, that there certainly is for a lot of things that relate to the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So powerful, Jessica. Thank you again so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I mean, I told you it was pretty fascinating, right? Jessica is a wealth of knowledge with the nervous system. And I hope that you're starting to realize that health is so much more than just what you eat and how you move. In fact, your nervous system is going to regulate what your body does with those things. So we really have to come back to how do we help support our nervous system? Not to create this weak uh, system that is free from stress, but to build resiliency inside of our body. And our bodies are pretty darn resilient. So if you want to learn more about that, again, head on over to thelivingwell.com where I share more information on how to take this information that Jessica shared and make it practical. You'll also find all of the places where you can learn more about Jessica and check out her nervous system program. You can find more at jessicamaguire.com or you can find her on Instagram at repairing the nervous system. You're definitely going to want to check her out, follow along and really start to implement some of this work because it matters more than what you eat. I'm promising you that. Yes, what you eat matters, but this is really where the rubber meets the road. Okay, that's it for today. Now, I know I said today was going to be a solo show. I actually pumped it back because next week it's going to launch on Valentine's Day and it's all about sexual wellness, a topic that we haven't talked about here at The Living Well or Made for Living Well, but really does matter to the overall health of your body. It's a big deal because we're made to reproduce. And so this is a topic that we need to talk about. Now, it also is going to give you a little insight on the entire sexual health podcast series that's coming out later this summer, and hopefully we'll build some excitement around that. But come back next week for that podcast on sexual wellness and why it matters to your health. And in the meantime, don't forget to go back and listen to all the other podcasts in this series on eight life-transforming health tips you need to know. Okay, I'll see you back here next week.